Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Welcome to the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Elisa. I am your host. And today it is August the 31st. It is Wednesday, August the 31st. Wow. 2022. And you are in for a treat. Thank you for pressing play on this amazing episode. My guest today is a friend, mentor, motivator, and just the kind of person that you can feel safe with. Oh, don't you just love that? His name's Julian DeShutter. This is the second time on the show. And I wanted to bring him on here because of his growth, his impact, and his vision when it comes to health, business, community. I mean, this guy really cares about building things that other people care about, whether that's companies, whether that's communities, projects, charities. He has done it all, co-founded, or founded seven or eight companies at this point, his natural curiosity to go deeper, to not just settle, to explore and heal his own body and and create an environment that feels good for him is incredible. We deep dive into some controversial topics during this episode. Uh, the nervous system being overstimulated, biohacking, cold therapy, business, just community, the human condition, why we do the things we do, why we have fear, why we're resisting. And I hope that his insight impacts you in the same way that it does me. I love this conversation. It's a long episode. Stick with us until the end. Here is my friends, D Shoots, Julian DeShutter. Julian, welcome back to the show. Back. It's been like three years. Probably been more than three and a half. Three and a half? Oh my gosh. Three and a half years at least. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, but, but two of those didn't count, so it's kind of only been a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, we're going to block those two. Well, you actually um, uh, have had like quite, uh, quite a time over the last couple of years. Lots of self-discovery, lots of like intense things that you went through. Yeah, the, uh, the great pause. You know, and it's, it's, it is amazing what you can, how many ways you can distract yourself, um, and Mm -hmm. just how much is sitting beneath that the second you are forced to sit still and just, you know, it's uncomfortable, but a gift. And so it's been, it's been a really crazy couple of years, um, you know, not just for me, but for pretty much everybody on planet earth. Um, but also just one of those things where it's, if you used it to have the space, um, can reward you in ways you'd never get if all you did was stay busy. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it feels like a blur. doesn't feel like they happen, but in hindsight, you kind of sit there and you're like, whoa, it's been a, a lot, a lot has happened in the last little bit. What did you do in your great pause? A lot of it was, was really for me foundationally just getting back to a space where my nervous system felt mm. calm. Mm. Um, and back to a space where my nervous system felt 
non-reactive to everything around me. Um, and I think that's such a, such a powerful feeling because if you would have asked mm. me, you know, before that, you know, are you reactive? The answer is no. Of course. And then, right? Like, yeah. like we, we normalize whatever situation we're in so quickly that we don't really realize the situation we're in until we're so abruptly pulled out of it. Ugh. And you realize just through this like deep level of discomfort and agitation that you're like, this, this probably can't be healthy. This can't be good. Um, <sighs> and you're either, you know, if, if you have enough stimulus around you, you can, you know, continue to block it out. But if you don't have that stimulus and if the world slows down and if you're forced to kind of sit with it, um, you basically are forced to look at what's agitating you. Um, and when I say agitation, I just mean like making you react. It's not even necessarily an emotional process on the top level. Um, and so a lot of, you know, the last two and a half years for me was getting back to a place, um, where I just foundationally felt really good. Um, and foundationally felt like I could sit in peace for long periods of time without the urge to get out of that space. Um, and I think that's such a powerful narrative you know, in a world that is fueled by dopamine is, is, mm. is if you watch most people, you know, myself included, every three and a half minutes, we have this urge to not sit still anymore, to not stay focused and to pick up our phone. Oh. Um, and so a lot of the time it was like rewiring that pattern, but on a much more macro level for my life, um, including taking a look at, you know, my lifestyle and my behaviors and my health and the people that I'm surrounded with mm. and the companies I'm building and the products I'm building and just going, you know, I'm 30, mid thirties now, but you know, when I look at this, when I'm 40, 50, 60, 70 years old and just going like, is that what I plan to do with my life? Or is that how I ended up just through a series of events and things that happened that I didn't really take stock of in the moment, you know, and it's kind of that you're 25 and somebody asks you to come do this one thing for a day. And before you know it, you're doing that for 10 years. <laughs> uh, so really just looking at all that stuff and getting back to a place, um, where I don't feel I need to be reactive to life. Um, okay, so what was the moment that you really, was it like the pandemic? Or what was the moment where you like understood that this was what you had to do? Because like you have to have some level of acceptance that that something has to change or that you can do it better. Or I don't know what, what it was for you, but can you talk about that? Yeah, so to dive, you know, really down the deep end right away, um, I started. That's what we do here on Elisa Unfiltered, Julian. We go all the way in. Okay, we'll, just, we'll, we'll go back. Um, I ended up getting kind of sick, and not kind of sick. I ended up getting sick in 2015, mm-hmm. um, and spent four years running from doctor to doctor to doctor. Um, ended up seeing 20 plus doctors, all sorts of things, uh, naturopaths, um, neurologists, I mm-hmm. you know, endocrinologists, like the whole mm-hmm. gamut of, of, you know anybody that had some sort of medical license that could give me any insight into, you know, why I was not feeling well every day. Mm. Um, all to the answer of there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, to the point that it brought me up to 2019 and I could just feel so much of my inner experience starting to crumble. Um, and the way I, and so when I go back to thinking about like being reactive is like, I was basically moved into the state where my nervous system was so taxed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that there was no conscious thought in anything I did. And I didn't have the space to have conscious thought. 
um, until basically early 2019. I was running um, a digital agency that I had there and then an adventure travel company. Um, and I basically was sitting on the couch and I said, if I don't stop, I'm basically going to die. I could feel every part of my inner experience just crumbling a part of myself. And in that moment, just said, you know what? I have two choices here. I either let go of every single, you know, ego constraint that I've built up. I need to build this company. I need to do this thing. I need to become this person. Um, or it completely destroys me from the inside out. Um, and it was after seeing some of the best neurologists in the country and then them telling me that, you know, there's nothing wrong with you and me be barely being able to get off a couch and, and look at a computer for five minutes to do any work. Um, that I literally just said, you know, hit pause on, on everything. Um, and so that was actually the precursor that in a very beautiful way leading up to 2020 was this like forced, you know, push to sit there and pause and really, really go back down to the foundational level while not having these urges to hold up a life outside of me. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really, really cool. Um, it was really tough. It was extremely powerful. Um, and it forced me to look at, you know, every kind of identity that I've built up, every drive that I had, why was it there? Um, but in hindsight, it was an extremely therapeutic process that allowed me to stand on the other side of it, which is now kind of three and a half years later and be foundationally grounded in, in who I am and how I want to spend kind of the next chapter of this. Um, and so by no means was it easy. Um, it was probably some of the most tormenting hell I could imagine. Yep. Um, but it feels like in some weird ways, that's how life works, right? Is it will push you until you surrender and let go. And the harder you hold on, the harder it pushes you back. Um, it's interesting because like the you say there was like it was a tormenting hell but the way it was before was also a tormenting hell so it's like which tormented hell do you want to go do you want to continue till you die or do you want to just get through the bullshit and see what's on the other side yeah and that's <clears throat> something I spent a lot of time thinking about um just in the more macro arc of what's happening, you know, and, and there's okay, so many yeah. cliche analogies of, you know, caterpillar turning into butterfly and all these types of things, <laughs> which is, you know, and, and, and I, I joke in jest because I'm like, oh my God, we've beaten the hell out of that. Mm -hmm. But there is a level of truth to our human experience that we are designed to evolve over time, right? We go through phases as human beings on, on earth where, you know, you have this adolescent phase where you're rebellious and figuring yourself out and you have this, you know, for a male, this phase where you're essentially empire building, where you're like, I'm trying to build the security and have all these things. And then you move on through these different phases as you go through life. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized for me, it's like so much of my emotional suffering in that experience beyond the physical was my inability to let go of one phase of my life because I didn't feel like I had accomplished what I wanted to with it. Um, and not mm. honoring the fact that I was moving through life in a trajectory, I was evolving through life, and that I was resisting from like an ego identity, that evolution. How did you figure that? Like, so that that's like, what you just said there like gave me goosebumps. Be, like, it's, it's so powerful to see the program of your mind 
from the other side and actually do something about it. So people can see, see things or be like, oh, there's that thought again, or, oh, I'm doing that thing again. But they just like bury that. They suppress it. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm, I'm not doing that. You know, like they, that point that you like actually did something about it. Is there like anything you could tell us or talk about like how you were able to move forward through that? Yeah. Like I would love to say that I realized it while it was going on, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's wisdom. I think wisdom is being able to proactively mm. and preemptively make changes before the changes crush you. Mm. You know, yes. I don't think that is most of the intelligence we've been taught. And I don't think that's the, the culture in which we live. Um, I don't think it, you know, it pushes us to think about those stuff. So for me, it was literally this breaking point that if I didn't stop, I felt I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, and it was so crushing physically that if I didn't stop, if I continued to try and run those patterns, I could feel more and more of my physical biology breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd like to sit there and be like, oh, I, you know, I figured it out. Like I was literally pushed against the wall and getting squished up against the wall until I was forced to let go of all of those things that were driving me to continue going. Um, but something really, really beautiful happened for me. And that was within you know, seconds of genuinely emotionally and psychologically letting go. And, and for me, it was, I don't need to hold on to building this company. I don't need to hold on to the identity that I have. I don't need to be the person that I thought I had to be. And that there, I would be safe if I just let go and float into whatever was next. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's still this kind of thing of like, is it naive to trust, you know, what life has in store for you? Or are we like the arbiters of our own destiny? Or are we on a wave and the wave is far more powerful than we are? Um, mm. And in that moment, I just basically said, I'm like, if if this thing goes however it goes, I will just sit there and become a student of it. Um, and it was in letting go of everything there that it instantly allowed me to go from being like stuck inside of it to standing outside of it, looking back in. Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, and I always kind of joke where I'm like, it would have been really easy for somebody from the outside to look at the situation I was in and, and write down what was happening. Yeah. But we build such strong narratives in our head about who we are and who we're supposed to be. And these happen predominantly subconsciously. Yes. And those essentially drive us to extremely beautiful heights and extremely deep lows. Um, and so the more... I could understand what those narratives are, the more I could be like, well, which ones do I want to choose? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this one moment after I basically said, you know, if I, I gave up my companies intellectually, like I was just, they're gone. If they never come back to life, that's cool. And it literally felt like I had taken the handcuffs that I had unknowingly put on myself and just taken them off. Mm-hmm. And there was this huge emotional weight that I didn't even know was there. On the other side, I would have called it my drive that just completely let go in a second. And it made me realize, I'm like, I don't have to do anything here. I don't have to build companies. I don't have to be a certain person, Mm. you know, and and, and that goes out of, you know, be kind, be compassionate, you know, be a good human being. But if I build things, that's cool. If I go hang out on the beach in in some foreign country, that's also cool. If I just want to, you know, whatever path I choose um, is all right, because there's millions of paths to go as a human being. And there's millions of them that will work for me. 
And in that, it gave me this really beautiful, deep sense of freedom, even while I was stuck in what was still physically a really, really tough situation. Um, and so that opened the door just for, for so much exploration to happen. And, and COVID kind of came around and, you know, reinforced the space of like, do nothing, play with this, heal, fix your body, fix your nervous system, move back to a place where you are at peace with life and then start moving forward again. Um, and if it took a year, awesome. If it took five years, And that's the, that's a crazy, it's not crazy. That's the thing with these realizations and with these turning points or aha moments or whatever you want to call them. When you like hold something so close to you that you think it's yours and then you're able to zoom out far enough to see that you're a dot on a planet spinning in space like this, there's the universe is vast and your problems aren't that big. I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the experience that you went through because I think we all, that it's a huge part of the growth is, is the experience. But when you can zoom out and just look at it from a different perspective, that is arguably the hardest thing or the most profound thing. But then it's like, what do you do now? Where do you go with that? How do you continue to build on the letting go because so often we have like these subconscious ties that we're continuously like pulling that shit back into our lives that we don't even realize it and then before we know it we're right back where we started so how did you like break the tie or that connection yeah and i think just to take like one step back like it's it's been really interesting in my relationship with pain and other people's pain and mm-hmm. like you use the words like minimizing the situation and I found an amazing doctor who I worked with for three years and still work with this day that that helped me basically put everything back together in a way in, in ways that I'm still wrapping my head around and in parts that I didn't even know existed okay, um, yeah. inside of me and the many bodies that exist inside my one physical body um And one of the first questions he asked was, why shouldn't you suffer as a human being? Like, why shouldn't you go through this? And suffer wasn't the word. Like, why shouldn't you experience this pain? Um, Ooh, I like this guy. What did you say? it, it, It just rocked me because, like, up until that point and up until I, you know, got sick um, in that moment, like, I really hadn't gone through a lot of stuff that I wasn't able to work my way through quite quickly. Um, and this was on a, on a very grand scale for me, kind of the first really big thing where it felt entirely out of my control and I felt helpless for a long period of time. And in hindsight, I realized how extremely grateful I should have been and and in many ways was, but didn't really realize it for the first kind of period of my life to be able to overcome challenges. Um, and it kind of really rocked me in the sense of I didn't have an answer of why I shouldn't have gone through this experience. And it made me realize that other people go through these experiences all the time. And and some people get through them and many people don't. Um, And all of that is just part of the experience of being a human and experience of being a conscious being on this planet. Um, And very much like leaves on the tree at the end of fall, they fall off and they die. 
mm-hmm. right? And, and so why shouldn't I have had this experience? Um, and I really didn't have an answer for that question other than I'm special and I shouldn't have to go through <laughs> this stuff, um, which is like the ego is like, no, like, cause yeah. I don't want it to happen. Yeah. And, and you just kind of realize that, you know, there's the cultural narrative in which we're born, in which marketing is built on top of, in which, you know, mother culture integrates us into from a very young age of go do this, then go do this, then become that, then go become this. And life should be this beautiful crescendo towards this amazing climax at the end of it and it's over. And you realize that like nowhere outside of other than culture does that narrative actually exist, right? Struggle is a basis point of evolution, Mm. right? Evolution Mm -hmm. comes out of struggle. Mm -hmm. And so I had what in hindsight was these two conflicting narratives of I want to continue to grow and become all of these things as an individual and yet I don't want to struggle and go through anything hard to get there, mm-hmm. right? Like, or I want it to be just hard enough to make me feel validated in it, mm-hmm. but not so hard it felt insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started to like pull apart that narrative and that understanding and realizing that A, just the ups and downs of life are something every human will experience mm-hmm. and that every human, you know, in many ways should experience. And that if you have the right environment and situation in there that's actually where you grow right when i look at all the other things that i had overcame prior that you know didn't really rock me i had grown but i didn't really i wasn't forced to a level of discomfort that forced me to really look at everything um and it made me realize that on a much more macro level this is actually a process that exists everywhere in nature beyond the human story beyond the human narrative beyond society um and that there was no reason why this shouldn't happen to me. And so I just, I like that caveat because, you know, on a relative level to me, I'm like, it was tremendously difficult and it was, it was a lot of suffering because I didn't know how to manage it. And there was a tremendous amount of pain, but on a macro human level, right? Like in in the beginning, I felt isolated by that. And then I realized I'm like, Oh, I'm just a human being on planet earth having a very human experience. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be an experience that I've told myself I don't want. Mm. Therefore, I'm suffering because of it. Mm. Um, And the second, you know, I really started to understand that and without downplaying, you know, the level of the situation that I went through and, you know, how the, the experience of it, but just going back to this question of like, I'm here, what can I learn? Not even what am I supposed to learn? Maybe I'm not supposed to learn it, but you know, what can I learn from this experience? Mm -hmm. Um, It really made me realize that so much of the really gut-wrenching foundational soul growth happens in that turbulence. And if you can let yourself sit in there and really be in a level of exploration in that space, it is designed to help us move through these chapters and these periods of our lives in ways that nothing externally can. It's so interesting how, like, okay, you've just articulated that in a way that, like, really resonates super deep with me. And I know a lot of listeners are, like, nodding their head being like, oh, and because most of us are going through these little struggles, whether the battle is is small or massive, it's like, one of the common themes or common things that I hear from people who have really got to the other side of it and healed, or at least are on their journey of letting that 
shit go. It's just how you can you have acceptance the way you speak you're like you've accepted what's happened you're literally speaking about it so vulnerably but confidently at the same time like you're you you really understand what has happened and are coming from a place of knowing that's i love the the knowing so there's knowledge you could read in a book how to get through this shit but i like to say you can read all the books on how to swim but if someone pushes you in the deep water what the fuck's going to happen and oh, like you move, you move from theorist to practitioner. And <laughs> yes, it was it was amazing to read books. Like, cause I, I like especially you know from 2017 to 2019, I'm desperately scrambling to figure out mm-hmm. why I'm falling apart mm-hmm. um, while holding up a facade that I was not falling apart. Oh, okay, uh, amen. Thank you for that. Right? Cause been there. Um, and and you know I was trying to like make sense of it while not really being able to say what was happening because it it didn't make sense. There was no like, Oh, you have this or this happened to you. It was just like my whole inner world is falling apart. Yeah. People like Um, to have a diagnosis. They like to be diagnosed. So then they can almost like fall back to that. They can default. Well, I have ADHD. Well, I have depression. Well, I have whatever. And it just allows them to avoid this, those are symptoms of something else that's really going on. Well, and, and it it helps us connect with somebody else. You're like, oh, what's happening? Right. You're like this. And immediately, like when you say a single word, it's building a scaffold in somebody else's mind instantaneously for them to understand you. Love right? that. Yes. And so when you go, what's happening? And you go, I don't know, but it's really complex. All of a sudden there's this incongruency between you and the person that you're speaking to where they're like I don't know how to manage you I don't I can't put you in a box (laughs) so it actually makes it really hard to connect with other people around a situation like that because we don't have the language and we don't have the mental scaffold around it Um, and and most people don't have most people don't have a sense of self and security in themselves to just hold the space for someone else. Also, like we're all so overstimulated. We were talking off air. You were talking about overstimulation. We're all just looking for those dopamine hits and, and we're, we're not even able to have conversations period anymore. I don't know. The other thing that I really loved that you said was that you started asking questions and you, that curiosity piece, which is the second most biggest um, I don't want to say symptom again, but common denominators with people who have gone through the shit and are on the other side. It's like, ah, this newfound curiosity. Do you think that, like, why is it that so many people refuse to ask questions about their lives or that they block it? Like, why, why is that? Yeah, I think, like, I think there's many many, many symptoms. I think the simplest one that I go to, to me, that makes sense is, is that we think we're one thing when in reality we know we're multiple. Right. And so, yeah, you know, you could, you could distill this back down to the simple thing of like, when I ask you a question, I'm like, what is your, what does your brain say versus what does your gut say? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and how can you as a single individual have multiple answers? Mm-hmm. Right. If you're one thing, you can Right. And what you realize is we actually have numerous symptoms of intelligence inside of us. Mm -hmm. What those are, we still don't really know. 
maybe they're entirely material-based clumps of neurons inside of our gut and materially-based clumps of neurons in our brain, or maybe it's something fundamentally deeper than that where it is, you know, this, this computerized brain structure and something called the soul. We don't know, right? Like the debate's still up on there and you can sit there and you can go back and forth depending on your experience of it. Um, but that was one of the most fascinating experiences of this whole thing was what it forced me to go into inside. And, you know, I had a body and a nervous system that was deeply in pain and I had a soul that was still holding on to peace and I would access, you know, and when I say soul, I mean like a deep part of me that I would go into you know, long periods of meditation and the pain would disappear and the body pain, you know, would dissipate and the nervous system would stop reacting. And I would go right back down to like a level of sense of self. That was the me I had known my whole life. Mm. Right. And so I think, you know, and I'd, I'd come out of that situation and then all of a sudden I'd be right back into my body and it would be reactive to the world around me again. Um, and so it, it's really forced me to ask a lot of questions of like, what the is going on there? Like, mm-hmm. how can I live in these different mental states, um, that feel so vastly different and so extreme, um, and have them all be contained in one thing that I call Julian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it, to go back to your question, like it really got me to a place where, my brain and my physical body was so exhausted and beat down that I stopped caring if it was right or wrong. Right. And, uh, and in many ways you can compare uh, this to the ego versus, you know, soul identity or, you know, however yes. there's been all sorts of language for this across the years, but you have this like ego identity that doesn't want to be wrong. That yeah. doesn't want to ask questions, you know, that if you ask me a question, I'm like, what's the answer to that? I'm like, my ego is like, I need to tell you an answer. And my soul's like, Julian, you don't have a clue. Come on. Right? And so you start to realize that you have these different personas inside of you that operate. And if you're aware of them, you can kind of play through them all. And you can ask the right ones the right question. But if you're not, if you're running automatically, Mm. then you're forced to generally run with the one that's interacting with the world, which is the ego. We've built a world that we're deeply in our ego body and not ego is in bravado the way we talk about it, but just, you know, this sense of humanness that interacts with the environment around us that brings in information through these, you know, antennas we call hands and ears and eyes. Um, and so most of us are just in a reactive state all day. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you can see this play out in numerous ways in, you know, the news and in media and headlines where we moved into a very like trigger happy world in the sense of I'm going to write headlines that trigger people because you get this emotional response that the person's not even control of responding to it. They just read it. The ego responds and away they go. They either get you to buy things or they get you to yell at people on Twitter or whatever it is. And so once you realize that you have these different bodies inside of you, Mm -hmm. you can start telling, you know, the ego body that you don't need to be right. So get curious. So get curious. It's almost like a window. It's like the media too. Like I'm a public anti-media person. Well, not anti, but however, 
I just find it so interesting how how I used to be the person where I blindly just trusted everything that the media said. And I would I would I would watch stories and I would be in shock and horror. I would get scared. This is even like pre-COVID. I, I stopped watching the news about six years ago because I started to realize that the news isn't the news. The news doesn't tell you the news. The news tells you what to think about the news. It doesn't tell you what's happening. It tells you what to think about what's happening. And I like, I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not in alignment anymore with some of these messages. And then with the COVID shit, I mean, so many, so much division right now is controlled by the media. And we don't even know, we don't even realize that subconsciously we are creating these barriers and these walls and these opinions of other people that are awful. Well, and I think that's like, you, you, you have to ask the question and, and I'm always hesitant to talk about like in big terms where I'm like media, because it's yeah. like when that's one of those things where it's like instantly a scaffold rolls out in my brain of like, Oh, she's talking about blank. And it's like, are we talking about CNN versus Fox news? Or are we, we talking could about be. social media? Like there's, there's numerous things that have to be pulled apart when we use terminology like that. And I think that's the hard part of so much of this. And also, you know, the beautiful counter culture rise of podcasting is mm-hmm. we're trying to take things from that are quite large and complex and bring them down into, you know, 156 character tweet. You just can't do <laughs> it's that. It's true. Right. And, and it's true. It's kind of like you, you can't take really abstract concepts and simplify them down and still have the same message. I think so I would some say messages shouldn't be simplified. I think I would say mainstream media and social media, to be honest. There are some wonderful things that do happen in the media, or there are some really great um, unbiased sources and conversations and people that like have really healthy debate. I love anything that's like a debate right now and both sides because I don't know shit about shit and it's like I want to know what's going on and for every side there's a every story there's two sides and I mean that's that's the curiosity piece in me that like I'm just I'm encouraging so as many people as I can to just like understand that the way you think is 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 fine. It's great. You're allowed to think what you want, but just to understand that, you know, not everyone in the world believes that. It's like, does everyone in the world believe that Jesus was the son of God? No. Does everyone in the world believe that, um, you know, there's, there's multiple perspectives of this and to have the space to hold it and listen to other people and how they were raised and what they were doing. I just think that maybe it's just in large part where I'm at in my personal journey to realize that what I know, that I know nothing. (laughs) What I know is a very small itty bitty piece of the puzzle. Well, and I think that's, like, once again, going back to that thing where you have, like, the ego identity. If your ego identity is validated by the people around you for believing certain things, yeah, you have to isolate a part of yourselves to hold other identities as potentially true. Right? Say that again. I don't understand that. What do you mean by that? So, for example, 
like say you take a certain political side, okay. right? And, yeah. and we'll just leave it neutral for, for all intents and purposes. But everybody else around you holds that same political side. And so you are socially bonded to them mm-hmm. out of your belief set. Got it. Right? And yep. if somebody comes along and gives you an alternative opinion, in order for you to actually be able to hold that as potentially true, you have to put yourself in a position where you essentially isolate yourself from the people that are connected around you. That's right. really hard to do. Which like completely like there there's so much dissonance there and it completely threaten it's a threat. It threatens your existence to belong. Which is why as you know, we've kind of built weaker religions, right? Like religion is not as strong as it is to, or 500, it's not as strong yeah. today as it was 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet we've started to create these alternative camps that mm. feel religious, right? And, and you they can do. see it in the way that we talk about dieting and the way we talk about food yeah. or even CrossFit or all these other things that become these like pseudo loose religions yeah. that allow us to bond in the same way that humans have learned to evolve over time bonding. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, people get mad at, you know, Twitter, it's such an echo chamber and stuff like that. And, and it feels kind of you're like, why can't we get past this? And I'm like, but a thousand years ago, those same feuds would have been a group of people running into another village and pillaging the entire village. Right. Like we've actually become so much less cruel and so much more civilized in this way that I don't think we can understand because our lives are so short. Right. And I'm, I'm not like validating what happens on Twitter and stuff like that. There's still a lot of like very small things that we can get past. But as far as like the world being this like crazy violent place, like we've come actually so far as a species where even our fights are significantly less cruel than they used to be. And I was just like pointing that out because like it's really easy to poke at things in, you know, in the lives we live in these little microcosms that is, you know, Julian alive in 2022 but when you look at like this larger trajectory of humanity, we're actually evolving in this like really cool way, you know, and there's lots to be excited about. And yes, there's very real problems and there's things that are, you know, that we have to address and we're talking about addressing. We're trying to figure out how to address, mm-hmm. but I struggle to believe that like everything is devolving into this like crazy puddle of horribleness. Okay. Um, well, just rather it's just this, you know, trajectory towards, you know, higher levels of awareness. Just to like add to that, because I definitely want to ask you about the world and your opinion about it. But like when if you're a person that logs into um, Instagram or Twitter every day um, or you're in Facebook groups and you're like, whatever, people, what I don't think most people realize is that that what they're experiencing on social media, they are in part creating that. That's what the algorithms are designed to feed you and show you things that you're interested in for that moment. And and people think that the world is crazy because they're searching for crazy shit. They're they're engaging with it. They're reading it. They're spending time on it. And these are these apps are so sophisticated that they know your keystrokes. They know how long you wait and pause on a on a picture or you're reading something. They it knows. So it's going to feed you that. And it's interesting because like I was listening to this on a podcast the other day. This is not my original thought, but it was like people all know what Netflix is. Everyone knows what Netflix is. 
But people assume that like your Netflix is the same as my Netflix, but it's absolutely not. When you log into my Netflix, you are going to see completely different things than for you. So if you hate Netflix and everything's boring or you love it, like it's a, it's a product of your own creation in some way. And people don't want to take responsibility for that or, or see the other side of it. They literally are trapped. They're in a trap of, and the, I feel like the word echo chamber is it getting a little bit hashtag trending, but like, it, it, it's a really good word to describe your own experience on social media and with media. Yeah. See, I, I even take that a step further back. Okay. We can create that same environment. Like it's, it's so easy to be like, technology is doing this to us. It right? is. Yes. Do, your brain has an algorithm that if like, and, and, and this experiment mm. is beaten to death and talked about, like if you're in the market to buy, you know, a red Camaro, your brain is wired to start spotting that car everywhere. Everywhere, yep. That's the function of the human brain. Like your belief sets end up curating the information that gets brought from the subconscious, you know, receiver up to the conscious brain. And so even before social yeah. media, we have this thing in our brain that is an algorithm that we have control over curating. And, and there's a part of the brain that I don't think we talk about enough that loves darkness and loves juicy negativity that wants the world to go to hell and you know like inside that there's this energy that feels kind of gross but really good right and and, you know i noticed that a ton of myself throughout covid where you're like look at all these narratives and there's conspiracy theories and there's god everybody's evil and there's this big you know and you sit there and (laughs) some of it may be true some of it may not be i don't know there's i don't have the data and yet i could notice my brain over biasing certain things that felt good for no other reason than they felt good right and, and they didn't feel liberating they just felt juicy it right? felt and good because it was negative because it was negative yes. is that what you mean so it's kind of like when you're like i'm a good person i do good things i'm empathetic but then you see your ex-boyfriend get dumped and you're like that's juicy that feels good sucker but you're a good person yeah, there's, there's just that, like in gossip is another good example oh yeah love there's a part of the human animal like the yeah. biological meat suit and, and psyche that i have that wants to dig into that stuff and clearly has been rewarded over evolution for digging into that stuff in some form. Mm-hmm. But when you sit anybody down and you take like a step back and you go, is that really who you want to be? And you're like, absolutely not. Like no part of me loves the values of that. Yeah. And yet it's still inside of me, Right. And, and there's, yeah, you could even be in the moment being like, I hate you. This isn't me. Who am, what, who am I right? Who am I being right now? I can't believe, you know, but you're in the, and you can like, you're still going to do it. (laughs) And if if you pay attention to your biology, it gets, hits a dopamine as it does it, right? Mm. Like the scrolling is another good example where you're like scrolling for Instagram and you're like, I don't want to keep going. I don't want to keep going. Yeah, this is terrible. I hate this. I hate this. (laughs) You know, TikTok's that on steroids. (laughs) And so what you realize really quickly is like, there's systems inside of you that you don't necessarily have control over and if you want to take that to you know certain levels of extreme it's like you actually don't really know how your hand opens and closes and yet it opens and closes and what you realize (laughs) is that really quickly you are some form of awareness Mm. in relationship with your body but you are not your body 
right? And the second you realize that, it changes the relationship in which you have with your body and with, you know, the way information comes in. And it starts to, if you want it to, empower you to curate the algorithm that is your belief set in your brain and the information that's allowed to surface. And it's kind of one of those things is like, if you sat me down beside your Netflix algorithm and you were sitting there beside me, even though it's the same thing, we wouldn't see the same things. No, right? we wouldn't. And so you got to go back yeah. to that level because you're like, oh, that's the foundational level that we view through. And Twitter and Netflix are just an extension of that amplified significantly via technology. But it's actually the same thing happening on a different level. Do you think that social media and the way like TikTok, we can even use TikTok as an example, is like frying people's brains? Like, do you think it's the death of us? Um, no. Tell I me. I think it will be divisive. I think there are people who will not be able to adapt. And I think there will be people who, for whatever reason, build neural circuits that adapt to the increased amount of stimulus. I think, you know, as a mm. kid that was born in 1988 that's going through life, like the first 10 years of my life were hanging out with trees, you know? Yep. They were playing, they didn't move much. There wasn't a lot of information. And so you take that same kid, you know, fast forward 20 years and put him in a world of TikTok, yeah, he probably would be overwhelmed. But if you take a kid that was born in 2015, whose neural circuits have developed via TikTok, you know, he's probably going to be able to, by the time he's my age, handle significantly more information, assuming that that doesn't necessarily, you know, have detrimental effects and he can't handle it, um, right? Where they become overwhelmed. Um, I don't think that it is as black and white as we want, where it's like, it's a net good and a net bad. I think there are very detrimental effects on some sides and very beautiful effects on the other and then a gradient all the way through them. And that different people react to the stimulus in different ways. And that's where awareness really, really matters. Mm -hmm. um, like I think about the internet all the time and I'm like, you know, you can use it to sit on Twitter and yell at people and get emotionally riled up and entrench yourself in your belief set or you can use it to meet all sorts of liberating people that have different mindsets that open and expand your mind that you start companies with and build all these things. Yeah. You know, and, and both of those are very real possibilities that are existing simultaneously right now. Yes. Right? TikTok allows you to amplify all sorts of amazing things. And so it's one of those things where it's like it in itself is extremely powerful. I think if we use it or better phrase misuse it it can cause all sorts of problems but also if we use that technology properly it can create all sorts of connections in ways that we still don't really understand and i really do believe we're in like the early innings of the internet we don't actually understand what it means to connect you know four five six seven billion people and get that level of, of collective intelligence and collective consciousness and so the hard part right now is a lot of these things are free reign where we're capitalizing on just whatever incentives we want, right? Most of the internet right now is designed to literally produce money, right? Oh, yeah. And so you basically just go, okay, how are people going to respond if the major incentive system is to produce money, right? As opposed to, 
you start thinking about, you know, and it's very hypothetical, but like, what if we used all of the intelligence of the world and the internet to better understand the human condition, right? And everybody, you know, in a hypothetical experiment had to log on and explain their thoughts of the day over and over and over again. You can understand that stuff. And, and in one macro swoop, we understood what it meant to be human on a level we never did before. I like that idea. I'd buy into that. Right. And I so like that idea. You I... just kind of realize all of them are neutral tools. And so you have to kind of go back to this question of what's happening. Where's the most amount of power? So for example, whoever is building algorithms has more power than whoever is consuming algorithms. And what ways are they shaping the landscape of society? What was the thing that was bad when you were a kid? Like when I was growing up, it was like, don't watch too much TV. It's going to fry your brain. And it was like rock and roll was going to make you into like a bad, shitty, slutty, um, no good person. You know what I mean? Like there was like these trends where... Our, like it's it's just it's always there there's always something and as we evolve you was it because i'm 81 i'm a little bit old i'm a little bit yeah, older yeah, like than you. tv was one of those things like radio was still one of those things like there was lots of things that caused you know and we still do it like you know when i was 10 the internet was coming out you know and it's like yeah. the internet's this evil place and they're gonna do all this bad stuff on there and, yeah and, you know and you sit there and you're like yeah, some of that stuff happened, for sure. But the yeah. overwhelming majority of the internet is more connectivity, more conversations. Like, we couldn't do this 10 years ago. Right. Now we can do it, right? And so we might be using it in the early phases for very infantile things, but that's always kind of this process of, like, you know, humans try something out, we go too far, and then we come and we rein it back in. And then we do another thing, and we go too far, and we rein it back in. And you mm-hmm. realize, you're like, oh, that sounds a lot more like evolution than anything. And the same thing that has been evolving on planet Earth for four and a half billion years is probably the same thing that's driving us in some form. And you're getting excited about that. Like you have, I love your your uh, energy, especially on, on Instagram, on social media right now, because you really think that this is a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be a human. And I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I think like... Once again, it goes back to the thing of like the negative narrative has a gravity to it. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to buy into it emotionally. When in reality, so many of the data points of what's happening in the trajectory of you know, and, and we can split this up to like humans, animals in the larger like ecosystem, and then Earth, right? We can, okay. Because you know, I think those are very important distinguish, uh, distinguishments that we need to make. But if you look at just say like humans and cruelty, right? Yep. Humans are significantly less cruel today than we were 500 years ago, than we were 1,000 years ago, than we were 2,000 years ago. They were less tolerant for sure. Yeah, I would absolutely, right? like, yeah. We, you know, a thousand years ago, you went in and you burned down somebody else's village and you did all this stuff. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, like by and large, there's still like little moments of it here and there, et cetera. Um, but when you, when you start to look at like even hunger, you know, and don't get me wrong, in no way am I a fan of pesticides and all that type of stuff. But 
we used to have massive famines that largely were stopped because we had, you know, all sorts of chemical fertilizers and stuff like that. And I'm not saying those things are good, but they weren't started as this malicious evil thing right. that solves this, right? Like, and, and in hindsight from 2022, you're looking back and you're like, oh, maybe that probably wasn't. Yeah, know, maybe we right could have done this better. Yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. we should slow down. And, and there's yeah. all this hindsight bias that comes into it. But the narrative right now, if you ask most people, is like, big evil thing that's trying to destroy everything you know oil and gas is another really good example of this and like you know i think elon musk does a really good job of of treading these lines as he builds fantastic electric cars yeah that he's not sitting there pounding his fist on the ground being like oil is evil right oil was a very cheap solution that helped economies grow really really quickly because we unlocked a tremendous amount of energy really quickly Mm-hmm. And yes, all of a sudden we learn that there's lots of problems with it and, you know, we might be very slow to react to these problems and, and, and there's a very nuanced yeah. kind of argument in there, but just this broad stroke that goes across that's like, yeah. everything's wrong. I'm like, I just can't buy into that. The black and the white, it's it's hard. It's hard. And, and the oil conversation, Michael and I were talking about that today. He works actually um, for Environment Canada in yeah. emissions. So he like he's he's working on this stuff all the time. He's he's like BMW is in big trouble right now. Like the, the the there's a lot of things that are happening that the general public has no fucking clue about, which why we don't need to know about everything. Let's just put it that way. We don't need to know. However, there's also really interesting arguments around the whole because I think California today announced that by 2035, they will no longer be selling gas powered vehicles. Yeah. Is that, that's what, that's right. You, you heard that too. Yeah. Okay. And, and just an interesting point from someone who I would say Michael is, is very central in his political views. He likes to have conversations, hard ones too, which is one of the reasons why I possibly am in relation with him is, is he was like talking about the mining of minerals and how people just think that electric cars, like the power comes from the battery. And they don't realize that the potential harmful earth, harming the earth, environmental impacts of mining these minerals and are these what we are they minerals, the resources to make the batteries. And it's just really interesting that I was like, oh, my God, I never even thought of that. I'm possibly one of those people that thought, yeah, the battery just is the power source. But it's like. It has to come from somewhere. Well, and it's, and, and that's one of those things that I think collectively, if we stop having these polarized conversations of mm-hmm. left and right, mm-hmm. we can have the conversation in the middle of like, what do we actually want to build? Right. So if you, like, yes. you look at the internet and it is tremendously good on sometimes and can promote some tremendously not good things on the other. And if all we're doing is sitting in the camps of one or the other, we can't sit there and go, well, what's actually happening? And to what degree is that happening? And is there, mm-hmm. you know, if we're getting a majority of connection on one side and right. And, and those are very hard conversations to have because it's so much easier to sit there and be like, Nope, not happening. Right. We don't want yeah. to look at multi sides, but there's reality in there somewhere that doesn't care whether we're looking at it or not. It's happening. Right. And so for example, like plastics, the answer isn't, all plastics or no plastics. The answer is how do we get 
the most amount that we can out of plastics with ideally zero environmental damage. You know, is that a possibility? Yeah. And then if that's not a possibility, there's probably a certain point of like, well, 1% damage, 2%, like, and, and those are like, you're like, you don't want to have that conversation, but also it's right. And, yeah, and totally. of like, as, as I, we sit on, you know, these things with, you know, metal computers and all sorts of, you know, and you sit there yes. and we all have our own cognitive biases in these things. And then these camps that we live in, um, that stop us from having very real nuanced conversations to go, what are we actually doing here? And what is the impact? And the problem is when we can't have those nuanced impacts, what it allows for more often than not is the people that don't care to circumnavigate it and do what they want. Mm. Right. And that's the really, you know, interesting thing for me where I'm like, you know, the more we have these conversations openly about ways forward, the more we can actually get to like proper solutions that, you know, allow us to build the world we want. Um, and I think about this all the time from the entrepreneurial space of like, you know, entrepreneurs build all sorts of value back into the world. The more we have these conversations and say, this is the world that we want to live in, the more inspired people are to go build that world. But and don't you I think do that, that there is a world that, what was that? Don't you think, sorry to cut you off there. Don't you think that like it takes the knowing like the living through your own bullshit to be able to hold space for those types of comp like, um, okay. So because I really think that most people think that they aren't black and white, that they're not in the binary space, that they don't even see it. And like an example would be something super controversial. Like let's even talk about abortion here for a second. Now I am not, I don't really care where people stand on their on their abortion, pro-life, pro-choice, whatever. But if you let's just say someone is pro-choice, okay? And there for everyone, there's always a sliding scale with how pro-choice they really are. And that's the thing. People think that they're pro-choice, but then what if the baby is like, when does it become not cool? When the baby's six months, when it's eight months, what if it's due next week? Like, does that change the way you think about it? Like, there's, everyone has this, like, I like how you said the scaffolding thing with one word, like how many minds just blew up there. If you're, and, and some pro, pro-life pro advocates do think that it's okay to abort in the first six weeks or whatever it is, like what, at what point, you know? So I think everybody just with that particular topic, because it's so controversial, can actually see that it isn't black and white. It's super gray and that you you would you potentially could change your mind or side with someone on the right or side with someone on the if you're on, if you're on the left side with someone on the right. And if you're on the right side with someone on the left, depending on that sliding scale. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I think in that space, like understanding that in reality and actuality, there's not a right answer. There's, there's not, not like a right this answer. Thing that you, mm. And, and there, there are right answers from a value-based perspective where if your values are X, this is the right answer. And if your values are Y, that's the right answer. Mm-hmm. But there's not one indistinguishable right answer. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's where it gets really hard because 
we're humans coexisting in a world with different sets of values that view the same set of actions as two fundamentally different things. Yes. And as we expand, you know, our viewpoints and we expand, you know, how much information we get brought in and we expand, you know, our vision through the internet, we're going to bring naturally more conflicting viewpoints all into the same arena. You know, go back, you know, hundred years ago, you'd live in a town predominantly with most of the people around you that you understood, right? You would have Absolutely. people with the same values. That's all getting thrown together in this thing called social media or this mm-hmm. arena called the internet where these things are conflicting and, and we really don't have framework yet, frameworks yet to work our way through these problems and to like have conversations. And so we default back to the animal, to the nervous system, to the reaction. Mm. And we just know what we know around the people that we know and everything else becomes, you know, I have to fight for my position. I have right? to fight. And what that mm-hmm. stops us from doing is having very real conversations that allow us to have progress. Right. And, and you see this play out in politics all the time. Like if a politician steps out of line across party lines and explores the other party's, you know, thought process, he's best. He's done. He's right? canceled. Even, yeah, he is effed. Even, even, <laughs> even the side that he's trying to understand. Yeah, it's suicide. Take him as understanding and roast him for it. it you know, and so it, it, it's there's this really interesting thing happened where we're being rewarded for being divisive and the middle falls apart. That is a very well put statement. Like it is it, it the the way that the divide is happening, the bias is happening is really like cancel culture is one of the most it's a trap. The whole thing is a trap and then people feel as though they can do and say whatever means necessary to fight these bad people over here, these them, like they are bad. I am not bad, but I am going to actually behave in really shitty ways because they're bad. And it's like permission to be an asshole, but you're, but it's like all in the mind. It's like this bullshit thing. It's like made up. No one's right. Yeah. It's, and that's probably going to be the plight of being a human for the next 40, 50 years. Holy we start shit. to build frameworks for these discussions because so much of these discussions are new because we've taken this world that was you know seven billion people and we've shrunk it down to the size of your phone right and so all of a sudden that requires a whole new social framework Mm -hmm. that you don't have inside of you because we've never evolved in that right Mm -hmm. and so you'll you'll see this like when people are like around together at a restaurant you know take that versus what they say in twitter comments or in YouTube comments, right? Yeah, like, as an anonymous duck, like, yeah, face. Like, you like, won't say those things in real life because in real life, we have an internal wiring system that has evolved to hold social order. Right. Right? The problem is, is that the more we're in the space without social order, the more we can bring that stuff back into society and it becomes more polarizing. Right? And so it's, it's interesting as we, like, work through this stuff, because we're going to be, you know, probably one of the first generations that has, we're going to be one of the last generations that sits on both sides of it. Um, and then the generations underneath us will have predominantly only grown up in an internet only world. So they're going to have a fundamental set, different set of beliefs and understandings of how the world work, you know? And, and so for example, you see this with kids that play video games, 
their friends are all over the world. Mm-hmm. The concept of boundaries and borders means significantly less to them than it did to us growing up, right? Because totally. their friends are in Hong Kong and Thailand and, you know, India because they're just playing Minecraft all day long, right? <laughs> and so even totally. like that little thing changes the way you experience life and the view in which you have on it. I'm, I'm like secretly really um, interested. I'm excited about where the internet's going with like the web three stuff and possibly web four that's who knows what's being created and like learning, exploring that world a little bit. It's like, I, I'm excited about it a little bit. I have a friend, um, uh, her name's Lana Dingwall. She's actually been on the show. She's all about, I'm, I love her podcast. She talks all about web three stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I am excited. I do hold a, a, some of the belief that you often share about your enthusiasm about the human about humanity and how it is a great time to be alive. I do see that. I mean, I, f- I, f- I fall on both camps. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Uh, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, the world is fucked. <laughs> Everybody's fucked. <laughs> what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, I just don't understand how those people can be so mean. Um, well, and, and, and I think that's the hard, like, it isn't naivety. It's not optimism because the world's going to be beautiful. Right. Just because, right. you know, like, if we do nothing, problems will continue to grow. But humans don't do nothing. Humans participate. Have a yeah. fantastic track record and, and, you know, extend that beyond. Consciousness has an ex- extensive track record of solving all sorts of problems and moving back towards a space of more diversity, more abundance, more thriving, you know, and, and people are like, I don't really get it. And I'm like, go back to a time 165 million years ago when the earth was decimated by a meteor. Everything yeah. went into a multi-million year apocalypse. Yeah. And out of that multi-million year apocalypse became all the abundance that we see today. Yeah. That yeah. is the natural state of consciousness. It is to continue to grow out of nothing. At some point, the rock or the earth was a gigantic rock with nothing on it. And yet all of this has cre- been created. Right. And, and that's it's very powerful. You know, that's not a great perspective. If I'm a human being, and I'm like, but what about my life? Yeah. But just the macro <laughs> perspective is towards those things. Right. And they might happen in massive trajectories. They might happen in small trajectories. But if we sit there and realize that, you know, that is the trajectory it wants to go on and the tools are there and that we are the ones that are responsible for building what we want. Yeah. It inspires us to actually go build things and build the future we want to see. And yes, if we all put our hands up, there will be big problems and there will be lots of turbulence. But I struggle to believe that all of humanity is just going to throw their hands up and let whatever happen. You know, and, and a really simple example of this is like, the news started getting crazy, or like mainstream news started getting crazy. What's the first thing humans did? Podcasting. You know, we create <laughs> solutions yeah. to problems. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And all of those, you know, if you believe that humans are good and that truth will win in the long run, then, yeah. you know, I sit there and I'm like, we have more potential now for a beautiful world than ever before in history because we are connected in ways that we still cannot comprehend. Do you have a Substack? No. Are you on Substack? No. Have you thought of it? Yeah, it's just sitting down and writing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I'm like really curious about it too, because like I love I love the concept of Substack, but I was just curious randomly. Okay, so before we go, because 
Whoa, I've actually made a note here and circled it and I should have highlighted it and checkmarked it and everything around the world word um, central nervous system, because that's what we started talking about at the beginning of this podcast and how you were able to sort of downregulate and just really pay attention to the central nervous system and something that you do that, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought you were a crazy asshole, like screw you, Julian, for all your cold therapy that you do because you have been doing that for a long time and you continue to do it now. I'm coming around. In fact, Michael's coming around too. We are cold therapying it. And we're actually like starting to plan out our makeshift cold tub with like a old refrigerator or a freezer. Like a, we're going to make one. We're going to do it. (laughs) We're going to do it. So tell, tell us about that. So it goes back to the comment I made earlier that like you are not your body. Your body is a whole bunch of minerals that has been put together by some blueprint and intelligence that we really do not understand. And you experience this at the end of like medicine when medicine starts falling apart and we don't have answers for anything, right? Like, and, and the, the deeper we go into, like, the reduction of the body down to, like, cells, and yeah. it just expands and expands and expands, and we really, we have ideas of how the functions work, yeah. but we don't understand why they work and why they're doing, and, and most medicine is simply trial and error and outcome without an understanding of, of, you know, the medical intricacies or the biological intricacies happening underneath. Yep. And... At the core of your body is your nervous system. It is the intelligent center that is pushing on the gas or pushing on the brake, right? And everything passes through your nervous system. If it says no, you don't go anywhere, right? And and you see this at like the very ends of the extreme when somebody's put in like a really, you know, extreme situation and they pass out. Their body literally shuts off. Yeah. Right? Yep. And so we, we kind of, talk about these things in very small ways of like fight, flight, or freeze, but we never actually think about what's going on, that you have this regulation system called your nervous system inside of you that is essentially dictating everything in your life. It's telling you whether those sounds you hear in the corner are, you know, worth paying attention to. It's telling you, you know, whether the visual system needs to pay attention to more stuff, information that's coming in, and you, while you're not in control of it, can build relationship with it. Right. And so when you start going back to like yoga or breath work and all this stuff, it's designed to deepen that relationship with it. Mm. And that I love that putting your body in different environments and creating spaces, you can amplify how deep that relationship is with it. Right. And so things like meditation are a beautiful but really long practice to deepen that relationship with your nervous system. But in kind of the the depth of it, you can get to really, really beautiful places, right? Some of that is a deep level of peace. Some of that, if you talk to some people, is completely psychedelic experiences while totally sober, right? Like it. Yes, I've heard that. Oh, yeah. You you talk to, you know, longstanding meditators of some of the places they go and they're blasted off into space. Yeah. Nothing else but their nervous system letting their body go to these extremely psychedelic places. That's right? cool. And so you have to ask the question, like, what's going on there? Yeah. Right? What is going um, on there? Yeah. We, we really don't know. <laughs> you know like, it's, 
that's part of the really beautiful research that's being understood today between, you know, the relationship between the mind, the body, the nervous system, psychedelic states, you know, heart rate variability, and this really, you know, jumbled thing that all lives somehow inside of my body. Do you notice a difference if you don't cold tub or if you do, like how many minutes a week would you say you're in there? Um, generally between seven and 50. Seven and 50 per week. Per week, yeah. So like I'll go between, you know, three minutes, three to four times a week all the way up to, you know, six times a week for five to 10 minutes a time. Some of the studies that I, I've been looking at around it, uh, they say like on average, you want to try and hit that 11 minute per week threshold. Um, and, and are we doing that? No, we're not doing that yet, but we're building up towards that. And I think it's definitely a doable thing. Um, so what do you notice a difference if you're not in the cold? Not it's, it's, incomparable incomparable it's it's and and i think a lot of that is you know we don't really honor like we scientifically honor how the body works but we don't socially honor how the body works i agree where the body is asking for very simple things such as working out you know like not even working out you know we never used to work out up until like the 60s we just moved our body regularly yeah right and and the system is being asked for a slightly out just slightly uncomfortable input in all these different ways right and and the the data is so extremely clear that people that work out by the time they get to you know the 50s 60s 70s in their life are just in a significantly different level of health than they would be than people that don't yeah right and that's just a biological imperative of the body yeah it needs to move it needs to be stressed it needs to have this small negative stimulus against it because in that negative stimulus you grow right and you don't want that stimulus to be so much that it breaks things open and you go backwards but a regular recurring negative stimulus causes a positive effect in the body Mm -hmm. right you go back to all of you know the theory of evolution all of evolution happened giraffes have long necks because of a negative stimulus that forced them to grow in a direction Mm -hmm. right and so while you know, working out and stuff like that works on the physical body, the muscle, the skeletals. Um, where cold really comes in is it does an amazing job on the nervous system, the circulatory system, and your mental mindset system, which is in a very short window of generally, you know, two to five minutes, being forced to confront what is an extreme environment, mm-hmm. in which case your body believes that if it does not get out, it is probably going to die. Right? And in that stimulus, <laughs> a whole bunch of really healthy biochemical ha- pathways fire in order to basically motivate you to get up and get the hell out of there or to withstand it long enough. Um, and all of the data, whether we're talking about, you know, the way um, the brain operates when it's in cold, the way your circulatory system operates in cold, the way your nervous system reacts, the way your neural talk back to your body that's being like, get out of here, get the fuck out of here, get, go, like, and, and it, what I, it calls what I, it creates what I call the arena where it just amplifies that space and you can learn to play with how your body is reacting and ex- deepen the relationship between you and the relationship that you have with your body. And where that really translates is just for, you know, simple purposes, we'll call 
the entire experience of getting into cold water a panic response, right? Yep. Negative stimulus, the whole body panics. Yep. The fuck out. Yep. I would you definitely. Have this window where you learn how to negotiate with and control your body to tell it that it is not in fact dying. And then, you know, three days later, when you're having a conversation with, you know, one of your clients or a boss, and they tell you something that goes past your conscious brain and triggers your body into, oh my God, my world's falling apart. You now have developed the neural circuitry and more than that, the biochemical reactions that follow to not freak out with what they say. So you can sit there, breathe, stay calm, and not go into a reactive strain in the brain, which we know limits your ability to make good decisions, right? And so the cold act is this really powerful arena um, that I honestly haven't found anywhere else. Honestly, every person that does this consistently does just that, what you described. They're able to, um, I don't want to use the word detach, because it's not like it, they're able to not attach or take everything fucking personally. They, they don't attach their bodies and their energetic fields to the opinions or the things that other people are doing as much. Most of the experience of cold for me now is playing in that window of the relationship between my body and my mind, right? Like if yeah. you want to look at it purely as like, when do you get the benefits biochemically? You know, it's like in the first 90 seconds, your endorphins are going, or sorry, your uh, norepinephrine, your adrenaline's going, your body has run so many of the chemical pathways, your, you know, inner furnace has fired up to try and, you know, burn as much energy to produce heat. All that stuff happens in the first, like, 90 to 180 seconds, you know, first uh, minute yep. and a half to three yep. minutes. Yep. After that, it becomes a game of how much can I stand discomfort? And, and what you re- like, it's really amazing because you sit there and you're like, I feel like I'm dying after 90 seconds. And yet somehow my body stays in this thing for 12 minutes. And you're like, so biologically yes. it was capable of doing that. It's pro- like, yeah. and, and you start to go to the extreme of like some of those, you know, I think the world record now is like over two hours of in an ice zero bath? temperature ice. Are they just breathing? They're just, they're probably having a psychedelic experience in there. So they're, they're rewiring how hard their body's working inside so your core temperature doesn't drop. So they're now in control of managing their core temperature in this experience uh. by basically overriding the autonomic nervous system, the like automatic part that is supposed to run your entire body that we have no control over. And it turns out we have control over it. We just generally don't have the level of relationship between our mind and our body to have that control. Right. And so it completely changes what we understand about our relationship with our mind and our body. And, and mm. you know, there's yogis that have said, you know, they've been able to increase their heart rate to like 300 beats per minute and all this stuff. And, and some of them have proven scientifically that they can. And this whole world of body-mind relation that is, for the most part, beyond our understanding in Western paradigm, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's amazing people that are starting to bring back that, you know, maybe it's not all the way to the hundredth degree, but it's a lot more than we have zero control over it. Um, and so like the mindset side of it and the ability to be non-reactive to like get into what is a threatening, dangerous, ice cold situation and have no panic response because not because your body doesn't want to panic, but because your mind is in control of telling your body not to panic. And I, I bet you like, I would imagine now I'm not, 
and this is totally making an assumption here, but based on what I, my experience is like, okay, just to take a step back, my experience with cold therapy was really introduced in athletics, being on Team Canada and and the hot cold contrast baths and the recovery aspects of it in the body, like to recover from hard whatever. So I always associated it to recovery. But now we we were in cold baths, like I was in cold baths in at COP in Calgary, like in the late nineties. And I would be in there with like these big, massive, like bobsled guys from like England. There was like, there was all sorts of athletes from all sorts of arenas in that cold tub, in that hydrotherapy room. And so like my immediate thing is just in the recovery. But now since the data of like, start, sure, it probably started in the mainstream because of sports. Maybe, maybe it didn't. But there's so much data now that's really... Um, it started uh, when I was in the coaching where athletes who spent more time in hydrotherapy rooms were able to manage stress, anxiety better. And then it kept building and building and building. And all of these, they started taking note. So, and now I would imagine that every single person that gets into a cold bath right now will respond to their level of, mind body connection so like you see people like <gasps> like freaking the fuck out and like people that put one toe and they're like fuck this and they just can't and then there's like you and like the russell brants i don't know if you want me to compare him to you but like he's a cold tub guy that i see all the time he just like gets in like it's warm a warm bath like, how the frick do you do that because you're not getting the signals, like your brain's getting the stimulus signals, right? but it's not getting over, you know, it's like when a spider jumps out and you have no control over it, you're like, yeah, that's not a conscious reaction, it's a completely unconscious reaction. Right. But you've played with these pathways long enough, so that it's now the negative stimulus, which that's the really interesting part about cold, is they still have not found anybody, no matter how long the duration of, they've been uh, deliberate cold exposure for, every single person still gets the adrenaline. The body oh, okay. still reacts. Like there's, yeah. there's no point where like you do it over and over and over and your body doesn't get the adrenaline. You still have the physiological response. Got it. But what you shut off is your body's completely unconscious negative reaction to it. Or even if you have that negative reaction, it's not so strong that it overwhelms you. And in that space is where you move from out of control of your body to in control of your body. Right. right and and in control of your body in more and more and more extreme environments you're just regulating yourself you are regulating yourself rather than your nervous system reacting to whatever level of regulation it's at right right and so uh. you start to think about how many places in life being in control of your own body is you know a good thing it's pretty much everywhere you're interacting with anybody um and so it's just really, really interesting when you start to play with that side of it, because that doesn't even talk about what happens to inflammation levels and what right. happens to neural circuitry. That's so like, there's yeah. all these biological health things that- like, And like fat cells and protein and like how your body breaks down, your metabolism and the, 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 the like, absolutely. There's yeah, crazy- your, your metabolic rate goes through the roof and all, all these like, but this is just speaking about control between your mind and your body. And it's pretty much 
universal for everybody that goes through the experience. And the really cool part is it happens really quickly. Like I'm a, I'm a meditation instructor and I've spent quite a lot of time understanding meditation and like hundreds of hours in, you're still like, you're still trying to like wrangle with this thing or like you're trying to teach somebody and you're like, I need you to sit down and do this thing for a hundred hours. You know, it's like with Cole, give me five days, three minutes a day. Yeah. And, and you will, because the environment and the stimulus is so extreme and so material that it forces you to look at all of those things instantly, which means you can start to play with them right away and, and create this window between your mind and the reaction space. And I think so many of us, like that's actually what we're seeking is we don't want to become reactive to everything that comes up. Oh, it's so annoying. Like, (laughs) but so the, the, the flip side of that is we let ourselves be reactive. Yes. Because we don't learn how to be non-reactive. Yes. And, and for many people, it's just listening to like conversations like this to be like, Oh, that's something. Cause, and, and I know that there's a lot of people that, that will knock it before they try it. And that's the difference between knowledge and knowing, in my opinion. It's like, yeah, it's, you can, you can think, you know, that it's not for you, but you have to go through it and see for yourself. And then you'll start to understand. And, it, and it's, it's one of those hard things where it's kind of like exercise. It's like you can say exercise is not for you, but if you're a human being with a body, Mm-hmm. that has evolved with the same way all of our other bodies have evolved. Mm-hmm. Exercise is for your body if you want your body to be healthy. There's like, yes. Right? Yeah. And you might not. It's a non-negotiable. <laughs> you might hate every second of it. Yeah. But I guarantee you that the biochemical response that happens in your body when you work out is not detrimental to anybody. You know? Within, Ab- within yes. Reason. Absolutely. And if you want to take it a step back, it's like you getting curious about why you hate every second of it in the first place is probably something that you can evolve yourself out of and or through cold therapy (laughs) because you really just have an attachment to something based on your experiences in life. Yeah. The, uh, the algorithm of your brain has been trained to go exercise, painful, bad, not right. There's other people that literally wake up in the morning. The first thing they think about is how quick can I get to the gym and exercise? Yes. What is their algorithm telling them to do that somebody that hates it is not? And then you just optimize your life so that all the things that keep you healthy and happy and young and engaged and vibrant are the things your brain rewards you for with dopamine, for putting in the effort, right? And, and there's some amazing research that's been done um, by uh, Dr. Carol Dweck out of Stanford. Um, and she looks at the difference between people with like fixed mindsets and growth mindsets and how people shape their psychological structures to reward them to do hard things over and over and over again and yet have a more pleasant experience of life and get where they want to go right that's me like that's the holy grail i like what i'm doing i like the work that i'm doing and it's getting me where i want to go and i enjoy the whole process that makes a lot more sense to me than hate my job but have to do it because i desperately want the outcome that it's going to give and all of that structuring is just psychological structure. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Oh my gosh. Okay, Julian, I gotta go. We've been going. Mwah. You're the freaking best. Thank you. This has okay, been a long time. Hey, do you have an aura ring on your finger? You bet I do. Yeah, buddy. Bye. <laughs>
That's how I tell if I'm alive most days. <laughs> Same with me. This thing's actually helped me a lot. I got it in January, and I'm obsessed. Love it. Even I love that there's no screen. We respond to incentives. If they like, if you set up the incentives to do the things you want them to do, more often than not, you'll do. Them, right? You don't oh. change what you don't measure, and they help. So certainly. Okay. Thank you so much, and uh, I'm going to talk to you off air about uh, cold tubs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give this show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to elisaunfilteredcoaching.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time. <laughs>